It's John chapter 4, verses 4 through 15 we're going to read. John 4, 4 through 15. It says he had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Shikar, near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. We're going to skip down a little bit further in the chapter. His disciples come back as he's ministered to this woman. She's getting ready to go tell more people about Jesus. This is a little bit later in the day, John 4, 31 through 34. It says, meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone, the disciples asked each other? Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for your word. God, I pray that as we examine this today, to see what it is your son's really saying is it it's clear no one in this story really understands it. God, that, uh, Lord, you will open up our spiritual eyes. Our hearts will be drawn to you. And God, things will become more clear of who you are. I thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. So there's a lot in this story that we are not going to cover. But I love, I love deep truths that are contained within it. And today, I'm, I'm choosing to focus on just the two aspects of Jesus' trip to Samaria and his frustrations with humans in general. Uh, with the Samaritan woman, he's talking about her need for living water. And with his disciples, he's frustrated by their need for food. Now, this woman, if I'm going to give you a little bit of background on her, she is approaching the well about noontime, which, if you understand their culture at the time, noon is late in the day for someone to be drawing water. You know, it's a rather late day. It's a hot climate, which tells us that she was pretty isolated from society. Most women would be drawing water about 7, 8 in the morning. And here she is when it's getting close to the hotter part of the day. And so Jesus, he's, he's asking her for a drink, and immediately she is shocked that a Jew would even talk to her. So this was Jesus' response. 
if you only knew the gift God had for you. If you only knew the gift God had for you. You know, each and every one of us, we, we, we've had a time in our life where we did not recognize the gift God had for us. This world is out there. They, they don't see, they don't understand the gift God has for us. And this woman in particular, she had no gifts to look forward to. There was, there was nothing great taking place in her life. Now, we le- learn later on in the story, we didn't read it, but we learn later on that she had been married five times. She was living with a man who was not her husband. Clearly, what had happened was she was at a place in her life where society was pushing her out, where she was on the fringe. She was one of, she was one of the outsiders. And as a Samaritan woman, she already felt unequal to someone who was Jewish. And we're actually, you'll learn that later. If you read on in the story, later, Jesus is teaching her all these truths, and all of a sudden she makes it about worshiping in the te- their temple versus worshiping in the temple in Jerusalem. She's just, she's just completely confused and lost, and clearly she does not feel as an equal to hardly anybody. And later on, you know, or right now in the story, she demonstrated she had a misunderstanding of God and faith. And so there was another indication that she was rejected by society was the fact, again, that she was gathering water at noon. Okay, cool. She was protecting herself also by going at noon. She was protecting herself from experiencing or reliving emotions that she was trying to get past. And now all of a sudden, this Jewish man is asking her for a drink. And she knows no normal Jew is going to ask me for anything. But by Jesus asking her for something, in that society, was basically making her an offer. She was inadvertently, right away, being accepted. And so Jesus goes on and he implies that he has a gift for her and immediately hearing God has a gift for her. You, you know, if, if someone says, I have a gift for you, it's like, okay, keep talking. Let, let's, let's talk about this gift a little bit. So judging by her response, Jesus had her attention. He had her attention at the word gift because Jesus mentions living water and she wants to know immediately, where do I get that living water? Where can I buy that? I'll run back home. I'll grab my money right now. She interpreted what Jesus was saying as a sales pitch for the next life-changing thing. You guys know that in the United States, don't you? Turn on your TV and watch a good infomercial and see an ad about the latest and greatest gadget that will change your life forever. And so we've been dealing with that for quite a while, haven't we? Where we've seen that, and we can see society, society will adjust toward things that are set to maybe help you lose weight, right? Or help rejuvenate your body as you're getting older. Who knows what I'm talking about here? And so it's like, pastor, there's not enough money in the world that I could give, that that, that I would make sure that I could be restored in body or lose all the weight I want to lose. And so we've seen those TV ads, we've seen those ridiculous commercials, and as ridiculous as they are, there's part of us that says, well, I, I do kind of want, want to try it. I, I, I want it for myself. 
And so this week I was watching some old infomercials that have been on TV, and I came across this one. Ellen, if you could play it. Well, how does this mask do that? Well, if you can get the idea of what doing eight setups a second would do for your stomach, you have an idea what Rejuvenic would do for your face. Because in essence, Rejuvenic does for the face what exercise does for the body. And the way it does that is there's a control unit that during a facial session actually sends an impulse up to the zones in the mask and actually activates the face and skin to exercise tight and tone. So we like to say that's a lot of face ups. This is doing it eight times a second. During a facial toning session, the system delivers a mild impulse generated by a tiny 9-volt battery from the control unit. These impulses are directed to the specially designed gold-plated facial cushions of the patented facial mask and actually activate the face and skin to exercise, tighten, and tone through each of the 12 facial zones. These impulses start in the forehead facial zone and about every 20 seconds automatically move one zone at a time through each of the 12 facial zones. These zones are specifically designed to handle the major problem areas of the face. The system automatically repeats this process a total of four times during your 15-minute facial workout. The result is not only a more toned, youthful-looking face, but also a face that looks and feels fresher, more vibrant with that healthy, rosy glow. Who needs Botox when you have that mask? And perhaps some of you might have that in a box in your basement somewhere. I don't know. But this woman was hearing Jesus as a salesman and saying, I, I want that in my life. I need that. I never want to thirst again. That sounds great. She never considered for a minute that it was about what God wanted to do on the inside. Seldom do we do that. But, you know, because, because Jesus is God and, and God was working through him, Jesus looked at this woman's life and she knew exactly what she needed. He knew that she had no self-worth. He knew where her focus was. She misunderstood God as some far-off being with minimal involvement in her life. So when Jesus says, if you only knew the gift God has for you, he's hinting at God preparing to have personal involvement in her life. So Jesus, what he's doing is he's introducing this living water, and really what that gift was, that gift of God that he was talking about, that gift was the Holy Spirit. That gift was the Holy Spirit. And that is the personal work that he does in each and every one of us. I want to reference for you John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. It says, On the last day, the climax of the festival, John stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. So what Jesus is doing, he's stirring up in the hearts of men and women everywhere. He was bringing about an expectancy for the bigger things God is going to do. Everyone in here say expectancy. 
So he does that. He stirs up this expectancy by, by calling the Holy Spirit living water. And this phrase he was using was actually a phrase the woman was very familiar with. This concept of living water versus dead water. And I, I, I don't know if you could quite grasp the concept of living water versus dead water. I don't exactly mean fresh water versus salt water. But I say fresh that if you and I, we go on a hiking trip and we're stranded in the woods, we can't find our way. If we're going to go to a water source, there is a greater chance than you and I are going to search for a river or stream than a stagnant pond, Right? You can drink from the pond. I'll keep searching for the stream. And in Israel, what they did was they had drought regularly. So if you wanted good water, you would collect it from a spring or a river. And this land that they lived on, they they relied on cisterns to catch and store water during winter rains, or they had wells to tap into underground water tables. And so dead water at the time referred to standing or stored water, and living water referred to water that was moving, like a lake or a river or stream. So Jesus offering her living water, she is perplexed because the land that they're in, they have no running water. They have wells, they have cisterns, that's it. And so Jacob had to dig a well there. So how could Jesus get her something better in her mind than what everyone else in town had relied upon for thousands of years? It didn't make sense to her because she didn't understand Jesus was describing something internal. Again, these misunderstandings, they will continue in the book of John. John chapter 7, verses 32 through 36. Jesus had the Pharisees puzzled because he spoke truths about his life and the kingdom of God. They couldn't understand it. But Jesus is making this offer of living water, and the woman knows, I want that. Whatever he is talking about, I want And I believe that in each and every heart on this planet, they are yearning, they are searching for something deeper. They are longing for something more meaningful than what their life currently has to offer. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you this living water in or through the Holy Spirit. And the idea of the Holy Spirit being described as living water means that the Holy Spirit is an active, fresh-flowing source of the presence of God. I want you to hear that again. The Holy Spirit is an active, fresh source of the presence of God. There's a vision back in Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 1 through 9. I want you to listen to this vision. It says, In my vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on its south side. The man brought me outside the wall through the north gateway and led me around to the eastern entrance. There I could see the water flowing out through the south side of the east gateway, measuring as he went. He took me along the stream for 1,750 feet and then led me across. The water was up to my ankles. 
he measured off another 1,750 feet and led me across again. This time, the water was up to my knees and another 1,750 feet, and it was up to my waist. Then he measured another 1,750 feet, and the river was too deep to walk across. It was deep enough to swim in, but too deep to walk through. Then he asked me, have you been watching, son of man? Then he led me back along the riverbank. When I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. Then he said to me, this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. That river is the Holy Spirit. That river is the Spirit of God flowing out of the temple. And the more you go in that river, and the further that you seek to go, the more of God's Holy Spirit you will be. The more immersed in His Spirit you will be. And I cannot help but recognize that when I read the Gospel of John, everything we've read about this point, Jesus is talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit is going to do in the lives of the people. And something that I read when I read this vision that this river is undeniable. This river is the source of God. It's what people will want to drink from. It's what people will want to swim in. It's what people will want to fish out of. It is what is going to give true life. And there is no true life without this river. Relating this to you. If you and I have ever felt the presence of God, that is the active work of the Holy Spirit. And if you want to experience the presence of God, He will work by your invitation, by your openness to God speaking into your life, by your desiring the things of God. And those who are weak, those who are weary, the societal outcast, the mistreated, the disease-stricken, Jesus is offering you living water. He wants you to taste and see that God is good. Then life inside of you that he describes like in John 4.14 will become a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. That's my God. See, you and I, we see a lot of our problems as outside forces that are coming after us. And you and I, we, we, are, we, we are born in the world, we look around the world, we look to the world for answers. But Jesus looks at us and he knows that in order to bring about true hope and true change, we need to be affected by the Spirit. So when John the Baptist made the statement that Jesus will baptize you in water and spirit, he is going to bring about this living water in your life. And Jesus would say to that, you will never thirst again. Let me tell you something I know about this world. It offers an unquenchable thirst. The more you desire, the more you are going to desire. There is never enough. You are always going to be craving more and more and more. And there's not going to be a satisfaction in your life. Everything, and I promise you, everything is going to leave you disappointed and unsatisfied because we know there has to be more. 
And the answer to those desires is Jesus Christ. He is the hope. He is everything you ever need. And in following him, you will find that you are basking in the river that flows from the throne room of God. And so I want to ask you a question. Where does your nourishment come from? This woman was coming. She was looking to get water. Obviously, we know we cannot live without water. These disciples, they'd been traveling a long ways. They were hungry. They knew Jesus in body would be hungry. And so they got food and they were insisting that he eat this food. See, it is so easy for us to be focused on these natural things, these fleshly things, and not spiritual things. Jesus said in John 4.34, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. There are several lessons I've learned in my life along the way about this, but I want you to know that if you commit to doing the work of the Lord, He is going to provide you everything you need. I'm getting ready to take a group of 20 men to the Dominican Republic, and we're going to be building on to a church there. And I can tell you as, part, as, as the, the director of it, it is easy after a long, hot, hard day to say, you know what, let's, let's forego doing devotions tonight. Let's let the men rest. Let's let them go back to their rooms and, and just get some good rest. It's easy to say that. But I can tell you that every time we have said, no, no, we need to do devotions. And we need to worship. We need to praise God. I can tell you that every time we have, as men, we have lifted our hands in worship and we have prayed on these trips and we have sought God and we have listened to the word, we have been more strengthened the next day than on days where we said, no, let's just go back and rest. As Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. God is going to give you what you need so that you can concentrate on doing His work. And He does that by His Holy Spirit. You and I just need to accept that nourishment to our soul is more important than nourishment to our body. Some of you are like, can't it be both? I like food. Jeanette was going to bring donuts this morning. Just teasing. That's from Sunday school class. <laughs> Romans 8, 7 through 9. Says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. I'm going to read that again. The New Living Translation says, hostile. The New King James Version says, enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Are you listening? Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, 
but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Something that we need to recognize, we are sometimes in a battle against ourselves. We're in a battle against ourselves. It's that flesh versus spirit. It's that carnal versus the incarnate. God wants us longing to be guided by his work. And so what calls us to please God is the active, living work of the Holy Spirit. And so if you're feeling this tug on your heart, if you're feeling this desire to change, that is the Holy Spirit working inside you. So just like the woman at the well, he has called you, he wants to use you. Jesus didn't come for those that were well-educated. He didn't come for those that were well-off, had life figured out, and never had anything wrong in their life. He came, listen to Mark 2.17. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. People like the Samaritan woman was the very reason Jesus came. Later in the passage, as, as I said, it's a part of the story that we're not reading today, but Jesus kind of reads her mail. He's told her basically everything that she has ever done, pointing out that she had five husbands and she's living with a guy who wasn't her husband. He pointed out, and here's the thing about this, he didn't point that out to demean her, but to let her know that there is new life offered to her and she didn't have to cling to this checkered past. She didn't have to be tied down to that life anymore. Jesus, what he is saying is, I am offering you new life. I am offering you a second life. And so what he is inviting us to do today, he is inviting us to trade dead water for living water, trading food for communion with God. I don't know about you, but I want the living water. I am not satisfied on the water that just continues running here on earth. I need what flows from his throne, amen? I'm getting worked up. When you open this door to Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit begins to work, what, it, what it's going to do is it creates a longing for him and things that are eternal. And so it's going to shift your heart for desiring things of the earth and those things that are decaying, by the way, to things that last, things that remain Things that God set up for an eternal purpose. He came for those in need. He came for those who are sick. Jesus came for weary and brokenhearted people. And the work that he does for them is on the inside out. See, Jesus Christ, in each and every one of our hearts, he, he creates a freedom inside of us when we accept him. Where we don't crave those things of the earth anymore. So your opportunity today is to trade things that are dead for things that are living. And I got to tell you, today what we're going to do, we're going to give an opportunity for baptism. And these people that are going to be baptized, they're trading things that are dead for things that are living. 